0: Well, as we continue uh, moving towards this building and of the house next door, we've been doing a lot of work, um, specifically on the house next door, some some restoration work. We've been installing a bathroom in the basement. And uh, the Lord has gifted me in a lot of areas. Construction is not one of them. Um, And those of you who have been around me in that setting know that I was not meant to be a home remodeler. So I'm glad that that's not my uh, profession. But I have gotten really good the last few weeks at going to Menards to buy things and then to return things. Uh, And then to buy some more things and not return everything, which is really great. But um, Drew over here, he helped me last week. He literally sent me the, the SKU number for the exact product that I need to buy so that I can go to Menards and actually buy the thing that we need. It's been incredibly helpful. It's been really nice. But a few days ago, the time came for us in the basement to put the walls of the shower up. The shower is in a corner of the basement. Um, so there's not any like natural light in that area. But we were installing a fan and a light above where the shower will be. Uh, but from my point of view, it didn't look like it was done. The wire didn't look like they were fully run. So I was like, surely the there's no light in this back corner so we're setting up the walls and as you can imagine it's a dark basement and now we're putting up walls I can't really see well at all where the walls are supposed to go it's dark I'm like man I hope we're putting them in the right spot because we're about to screw them into these studs and we can't really move them after we do that and then all of a sudden the light turned on there was a light above me the whole time and finally it turned on and the moment that it turned on I was like oh look at that I can see I can know exactly where to put the walls now, and all is good, all is well. The shower got installed successfully, and that's what light does, right? Light helps us see what we could not see in the dark. Light illuminates, light reveals, and what we're going to see in John chapter 8, something beautiful is that Jesus declares, I am the light of the world, And in making this declaration, Jesus is saying, I'm God. Like, I came to light up what was dark. What we're going to explore this morning is that Jesus, as the light of the world, he exposes everyone and everything that he shines on. And we're going to see that Jesus, as the light of the world, he leads everyone who will follow him. So John is, is writing these truths, he's sharing these stories, and he tells us later in the book, he says, I'm doing all of this so that you will believe, so that you will hear who Jesus is, see who Jesus is, and that by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, you will have life in his name. So the light is shining, the light is on, and there's a really big light shining at me right now that's new, and I like it. We must respond, though, to the light. So I want to invite you to just really tune in. Ask God, God, what are you going to speak to me today? He may reveal sin in your heart that needs to be confessed and and turned away from. He may awaken your heart to the fact that he wants to lead your life. He may invite you to make a decision to follow him, to trust in him for the first time. Whatever it is that God speaks to you, whatever the light reveals, I pray that you would respond this morning in faith. As we begin in John chapter 8, you might see that, that your Bible has a little note um, that the earliest manuscripts don't include uh, this specific section, and that's because there's, there's debate over whether or not this story, the specific story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery is, um, is supposed to be in the Bible, and if so, where exactly should it be placed in the gospel account? But... The consensus among the majority of the scholars and the reason why we have it in our Bible is that this story is Scripture and that this story is, is serving as a really good setup to Jesus' declaration that he's going to make that I am the light of the world. So that's why many argue that these first 11 verses of John chapter 8 are right where they are in our Bibles this morning. That's the view that we're taking because it's right here. And from this first story... Of Jesus and this woman who is caught in adultery. I want to show you that the light of the world exposes us. The light of the world exposes us. Look with me at John chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. It says, Early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman. Who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So imagine. A setting very similar to the setting we're in right here, except instead of standing, it says that Jesus is is sitting. He's teaching the word of God in the temple, speaking to the people about the scriptures, a lot like what I'm doing right now. And then all of a sudden, those back doors open up, and these religious leaders come walking in with a woman. And this woman is clearly in distress. She's filled with fear. And these religious leaders stop Jesus' teaching they bring her in front of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we caught her in the act of adultery. I don't think any of us would feel very comfortable, right? We'd be like, oh, goodness, what is, what is happening here? But not only for the people who are observing this, but also for the woman herself. You can imagine the, the shame and the embarrassment that she's feeling in this moment. And these religious leaders are, are doing this, John says, to test Jesus. They're trying to get him to, to do or to say something that they can hold against him. And so they ask him, what should be done? What should be done about this woman? After all, the law says that she should be stoned. But These leaders don't really care about the law because if they did, they would know that the law actually says that if you catch two people in the act of adultery, then both of them are guilty. Both of them deserve punishment. So they're not concerned about the law. They only brought this woman, humiliating her, but also trying to trap Jesus. And so Jesus, as the Son of God, knowing their hearts, he bends down and he starts to write on the ground. And we don't know what he wrote, but he doesn't speak a word yet. He just bends down, starts to write on the ground. The religious leaders get impatient. Look at verse 7. It says, as they continued to ask him he stood up and he said to them let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her and once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground but when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the older ones and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him so Jesus instead of falling for their trap, instead of doing something that, that they try to trap him in, he flips the whole interaction on its head. Remember, they're coming in and they've got two goals. Their goals is, are to expose the woman for her sin and to trap Jesus into saying or doing something that they can hold against him. They want to prove that Jesus is, is anti-law, That's why they did what they did. But then this entire interaction gets flipped on its head because Jesus actually exposes them. The light of the world exposes what is truly going on in their hearts and in our hearts. Because yes, this woman committed adultery. Yes, that is sin. But as the light of the world shined on these men who are trying to shame her he reveals that they have sin in their lives too right maybe they did not commit adultery and then uh, get caught in the very act but jesus says if if a man looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart then he's already committed adultery in his heart maybe they did not get com- commit murder and and then get get caught in the act of murder but jesus says that If we hate our brother or sister, then we've already committed murder in our hearts. So whatever it was that Jesus wrote on the ground, whatever it was in his tone of voice or in his countenance or in his words, these religious leaders had to come to terms with the fact that they're not innocent either. And as a result, Jesus says, throw the first stone if you're innocent. They begin to walk away from oldest to youngest. And it's easy for us to point out the sin in other people's lives while ignoring it in our own life, right? Or maybe that's just me, but I feel like I'm really good at it. Our sin, my sin, always seems to look worse on someone else than it looks on me, right? Like we hear um, someone gossip about someone and we're like, man, I cannot believe that they would say that. And behind their backs, like, I can't believe they would do that. Then a few minutes later, we're talking about someone behind their backs, but we're justified because, like, it really needs to be said, right? Same sin, looking worse on someone else. But when we come to Jesus and we allow his light to expose the sin that is in our heart, then we can clearly see that no matter what the sin is, it is sin, And regardless of what we think about the severity of of our individual sin, the light shows us that that sin is deadly. Sin is costly. And unless our sin is dealt with, we are in trouble. This woman was well aware of that fact, right? She's being brought in and she's thinking, my death is imminent. I'm going to be pelted with stones. I'm going to die in just a few moments. But then Jesus spoke. Her accusers left. And she's left now alone with Jesus. In verses 10 and 11, it says that Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So this woman, just just moments earlier, is sinning against God. Then she experiences this interaction with the Son of God. She receives the forgiveness that he's offering. She calls Jesus Lord, and she's walking away a changed woman. See, for her, her sin was already very clear, and as the light of the world shone on her, it exposed, he exposed her need for forgiveness. And she found that forgiveness in Jesus. After realizing that she is not condemned by Jesus, she's told to go and to sin no more. And I think as we, as we read this, it's like, how can that happen so quickly and so easily? A few minutes earlier, she's blatantly sinning against God, and now, now she's walking away forgiven. But wasn't what she was doing really bad? Well, the only reason that Jesus does not condemn her, but instead welcomes her, the reason that Jesus gives her this new life, is because just a few months later, he would take the punishment for her sin upon himself. See, remember at the beginning of this story, the the story starts by saying that, that these religious leaders want to stone the woman? If you read ahead to the end of John chapter 8, you're going to see that the chapter ends with the same religious leaders wanting to stone Jesus. But because his time had not yet come, he's not stoned at the end of John chapter 8, but a few months later, his time would come. And as Jesus' time came, he was beaten, he was hung on a cross, he was crucified for the sins of this woman, for the sins of you, and for my sin. And so by, by no means is Jesus just excusing this woman's sin and being like, oh, it's not really that bad, it's, it's fine. He's not doing that. In fact, her sin, along with the sin of the world, is so serious that it would require his death. But because he's going to die for this woman, this woman can walk away forgiven, free. Free to love God, free to no longer live life in sin. And that same invitation is open to us here and now. See, our sin, whether it's adultery or lying, cheating, gossiping, name the list of sins. Whatever that sin that God exposes in our hearts is serious, We deserve punishment for our sins, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus took that punishment. He took it upon himself so that we never have to. He was condemned for the sins of the world so that we could be free. So as the light exposes our sin, let the light also expose the beauty of forgiveness. See, for all who trust in Jesus... The words that he spoke to this women, woman are the same words that he speaks to us. Verse 11, Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. So go, and from now on, sin no more. See, and as we, as we go, as we go and go with his forgiveness, go with the fact that we are not condemned by Jesus, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ, we go with this truth that the light of the world leads us. John 8 and verse 12 it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, understanding that the context of this specific section of scripture um, really helps us get the full depth of Jesus' declaration here. He's at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, which we we looked at last week. The the festival is coming to an end. And it was an annual feast where the people of God are remembering the fact that God, um, he guided them. He provided for them in the wilderness for the 40 years. He gave them food to eat. He gave them water to drink. And he gave them something very interesting to guide them at night. He gave them a pillar of fire. And I don't know if you've ever been like in a big field in the middle of the night with, with no street lights, no car lights, nothing. And you felt the weight of that darkness. Or maybe you've been in a desert in the middle of the night, which that could be a story in and of itself. But you're like stuck in the desert. You don't know where you're at. You don't know... If you're going to hit a cactus, you're just trying to stay alive. That's similar to what these people experienced in the desert, but they had a light. See, in those moments when you're trapped in darkness, all you want is light, and that's what God gave to his people. But he did not just give them like a little, a little candle to guide them. He gave them a pillar of fire, his very presence in in a bright pillar of fire each night to guide them. And so what the people of God now, as they're finishing the the feast of tabernacles, as they're remembering what God did for them in the wilderness, as they're remembering that that fire that would guide them each night, Jesus now speaks up and he says, Hey, I am the light of the world. That pillar of fire, that God's presence that was leading you and guiding you, in the desert? that's me. It's foreshadowing me. And now he's here. Now Jesus is ready to lead his people. And Jesus is telling them, I'm God. Like, I am the one that the Old Testament, that this entire festival that you've been celebrating for weeks was looking forward to. There was symbolism in all of that for me. And if you will follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. As we've studied the Gospel of John, there has been no question about who Jesus claims to be. He makes it clear in every way possible, saying, I am God. And this is another one of those examples. But just in case we don't fully get it at this first statement, look at verses 13 through 20 says, the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, if you knew me you would know my father also. These words, he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So again, we, we have a, a history with this, these religious leaders. They're consistently rejecting him, consistently not wanting to believe that Jesus is the son of God, and they're continuing to question him. And so here they're saying, Jesus, we can't believe that you are the son of God because you're just, you're just saying that that's who you are. You're just bearing witness about yourself. Jesus is like, well, yeah, but so does light. Like when light shines, it shows that it's light, right? In the same way, I'm bearing witness that I am the light of the world. I can bear witness about myself, but I'm not the only one who bears witness because my father also bears witness that I am who. I say I am. Jesus is using the law that they knew that you needed two people to to give testimony and two people to confirm the truth of a testimony. So he says, well, it's me and my father. We're confirming that I am who I say I am. And still, the religious leaders reject him. We have to to acknowledge that this is what happens when we have a hard time. Heart towards God. A hard heart towards God is a dangerous place to be. See, these were the people who were supposed to know the most about God. And they did. They knew so much about the scriptures. But when the Son of God is standing in front of them, they do not recognize him. In addition, they have all these questions and they're they're asking these questions, and Jesus is is giving them reasonable responses, answering their questions with responses that that they would know, and still they refuse to listen to him because their hearts are hard, they're set in their ways, and they do not want the light to expose their sin and to expose their need for Jesus. Instead, as they hear Jesus, as the light shines, they get angrier and angrier with Jesus, eventually leading to their decision to crucify him. So we need to, to acknowledge and to recognize that, that if the Holy Spirit is revealing sin in our hearts, if the Holy Spirit is revealing truth in our hearts, we don't want to push him away. Rejecting him and pushing him away is a dangerous place to be. Instead, we should... View the the exposing of sin as God's grace in our life. Because He's exposing that sin because He wants us to confess it to Him and He wants us to be free from it. He wants to pour out His forgiveness. So, as the light exposes sin, let it not push us away from Jesus, but bring us closer to Jesus. Yes, Lord, thank you for showing me that sin. I confess that to you as it is, sin, and I turn away from it, and I trust, Jesus, you died for that sin, so now let me walk in freedom. Let me walk in the life that comes from the light. Let the light of the world lead you. Remember, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He doesn't just say, the light will will lead you and and guide you. He says, you will have the light of life. Jesus will live in you. And that's the invitation that he gives us today and every day. Follow me, Jesus says, and you will have the light of life. And the thing with with this, this journey with Jesus, as we have the light of life, is that Our lives are filled with moments of incredible joy and incredible pain and and everywhere in between, right? We've got moments of health, moments of sickness, moments of excitement, moments of dread. Life is filled with moments and they're all over the map. There's one steadfast constant in every moment of life and it is that Jesus is with us. It's that his light is, is shining, whether we're living in the light or we're living in the darkness, whether we're on the mountain or the valley, the light of Jesus continues to shine. I was just thinking about this as like, the light shines for my family. Like when we went through the miscarriages, the light was shining the same way that the light is shining now that we're celebrating a, a healthy pregnancy. Why? Because the light keeps shining. And so in the, in the sadness and in the pain, you, you mourn, but you mourn with the hope that, that one day we're going to be with Jesus and be with those children. And then on the opposite side, you're like, man, I'm, I'm so happy now and I'm so happy that, Lord willing, this baby will grow to be strong and be a light because they'll have the light living in them. Right? We can mourn and we can rejoice because the light's always shining, whether it's dark or whether it's bright. See, Jesus never promised that, that following him will be easy. He never promised that it would be painless. In fact, when is light the most helpful? When it's dark. But what he did promise is that as we follow him, we're following him to a sure end. We're following him to glory. So even if and even when we face darkness and pain on this earth, we have the hope that, yeah, Jesus is shining here and now. He's giving us hope here and now. But he's also leading us to a day where his light is the only thing that we see. Revelation 21 and 23 says this about our eternal home. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Imagine that. No need for sun. No need for moon. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. It's a really bright lamp. John, the same writer of of this book, is, is writing in Revelation. He says, yeah, Jesus is the light of the world now. But do you realize that there will be a day when the light of the world is shining so bright that there's no sun? Because the sun's useless? Because the glory of God, Jesus, is on full display. That's where we're going, right? So we have the light now, and we're following him to that ultimate light. And so the best advice I can ever give you is follow Jesus. Right. Let the light of the world lead you through every high and every low, knowing that regardless of what the journey looks like here, we are headed home with him. One day that light will shine in all of its brilliance, and that's where Jesus is, and that is where we are being led as we follow him. That's our hope as Christians, but not everyone sees this truth, and so I want to close this this message with how these verses close, and I want to ask you a question. Ask yourself, do I follow the light of the world? Do I follow the light of the world? Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So as we've seen each week, we've, we've seen two different responses to Jesus. There's, there's one group who, if you would ask, do you follow the light of the world? They would say, no, no, we don't, because They're refusing to listen to Jesus. They're refusing to trust in Jesus. So they would say, no, I I don't follow the light of the world. But verse 30 shows that that there are people who are listening to all of this. They're observing all of this. And they would say, yeah. Like, in Jesus. For them, the answer to the question, do I follow the light of the world? They would say, yes, 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 I do. What about you? Do you follow the light of the world? Do you follow Jesus? If you cannot say with confidence, yes, I do, then I would just ask you to make that decision today. To turn from your sin, to trust in Jesus, to see the mercy that he showed that woman caught in adultery. To remember the kindness that he showed the people who for 40 years followed that pillar of fire in the wilderness. To see the, the proof of his identity that, that both he and God the Father bear witness that he is the son of God. But don't stop there. So those are, those are things that we read about, but this is not a dead book because the same love that he showed that woman is the same love that he showed us and that he continues to show us. That he died on the cross to pay for our sins. That he took your shame upon himself so that you would be able to live with him forever. And see the empty grave. He did not stay dead. Jesus proved, as God rose him from the dead, he proved, I am the son of God. I am the one who conquered death. So if you will turn from your sins, if you will trust in me, you will have eternal life. And if you can say with confidence, yes, I do follow Jesus, praise God. Like we never, we never graduate from that place. We're not like, oh, I've made it far enough in my Christian walk. I don't have to follow Jesus anymore. No. Every single day is another opportunity to keep following Jesus. It's another opportunity for the light of Jesus to shine on our hearts It's another opportunity for us to to have the Holy Spirit reveal the sin that is in us, to confess that sin to Him, to turn away from it, and to trust in Jesus. Every day is an opportunity for the two rhythms of a Christian life repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And as we walk with Jesus, as we walk in relationship with the light of the world, something amazing happens we become light. And so I want to close with an encouragement and a call to action from Jesus because he can say it a lot better than I can. This is our close and our call to action. Matthew five, fourteen through 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all In the house. In the same way, church, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth as the light of the world. Lord, on that on that dark night, you sent the light. And Jesus, your light shone your entire life. And then when they thought that they had had shut your light off, when they thought that they had, had finally done away with you and put you in the grave, the light shone all the more brilliant as you walked out of that tomb, left the stone rolled back, and you now are in glory. And we know, Jesus, that we are headed to a day with you where there's no need for sun, there's no need for moon because you, Jesus, the lamb, are the light. Your glory is all that we see. So Lord, we thank you that that is where we are headed. And God, we have such hope. So I pray, Jesus, for anyone who has not yet made that decision to trust in you. God, I pray that your light would shine on their hearts right now. God, give them faith to believe that you came for them. And God, for each of us who who do trust in you, I pray, Jesus, that that your light would continue to shine on us, that we would continue to allow you and and invite you to search our hearts, to reveal sin that is in our hearts. God, that we would repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe, just as we inhale and exhale. Lord, and I pray, as you said, that the light that you have given us would, would shine. That we would let our light shine before this world. God, that they would see our good works and that they would glorify you. God, may it never stop with us. May it never be about us. But may your glory shine. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.